0: So the reading this evening is from Philemon, or Philemon, however you choose to pronounce it. And that is on page 1200 of the Bible. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Athea, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Anismus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me.
1: I am sending him, he is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that he might have time to go back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.
2: Good evening, everyone. It's great to be together, isn't it? Um, We're looking at the book of Philemon. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we've just prayed uh, that we would offer up our lives to you in spirit and truth. We've prayed that you would finish your new creation in us, that we might be pure and spotless before you. Lord, deep, deep, deep things to pray about. So Lord, we ask that you might answer our prayers tonight. Do deep heart surgery in us. That we might be pure and spotless. That you might visit us with your salvation in a new and deeper way. That we might offer up our lives to you in spirit and truth. That we might pour out the oil of love in worship to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So for one night only, we're looking at the book of Philemon. I don't know... If you've ever heard Philemon being preached on, or if you've... Has anyone heard Philemon being preached on in the last 10 years? No? Just one or a couple at the back. That's great. Um, Now, some of you might be thinking, I know what's going on here. We've got a four-week series in the morning, and we've just had a three-week series in the evening. And everything kicks off in September. So I think what's happened here is we needed a kind of a one-week special, and Philemon just happens to fit the bill. Well, I couldn't possibly comment on that, um, <laughs> but more seriously, you might be wondering, why is Philemon in the Bible? Why do we need it? What's this little letter uh, got, got to tell us when we've got maybe letters that set out the gospel in far grander, richer form? Why, why do we need Philemon? Well, I suppose if anyone knows anything about Philemon, they'll know that the issue of slavery is very big in this letter. Um, Obviously, what's happened here is this runaway slave, uh, Onesimus, has run away from his master, a man called Philemon, and he's run away and somehow come into contact with the Apostle Paul. And miraculously, wonderfully, Onesimus has become a Christian under Paul's instruction and teaching and and sharing of his life and so on. And now Paul's got to work out what he's going to do with this runaway slave who's become a Christian. And obviously he decides to send Onesimus back to his master. And he sends this letter with Onesimus, a kind of an an appeal to Philemon about what to do with this runaway slave who's now coming back to his master. So this is going to be a great little uh, letter to think about the issue of what does the Bible actually think about slavery? Uh, Many of us will know that the reason slavery in this country was abolished Uh, was because of Christian people, people like William Wilberforce, who who really saw their Christian convictions impelling them to abolish uh, the slave trade uh, in the Victorian times. But you may think, well, that's brilliant on one hand, but you might be slightly more sceptical and think, but hang on, if Christian principles really demanded that we abolish the slave trade, then how come it took 1,800 years before that actually took hold? What does the Bible have to say about slavery? That's going to be one of the questions that we're going to have to think about tonight. But I'm not sure it's actually the main question that Philemon uh, is here for. I'm not sure it's the main reason that Philemon's in the Bible. I think the main reason that we've got Philemon here is to tell us something about personal relationships. To tell us something about what a life transformed by the gospel actually looks like in day-to-day ordinary life. It is a very ordinary letter. This is the Apostle Paul at his most kind of ordinary, if you like, scratching off a quick letter, his shortest letter, to his friend Philemon about a very practical issue, a very pastoral issue, a very personal issue. Uh, One commentator says, this letter is all about Christian friendship. It's all about how to blend Christian sentiment with ordinary affairs and how to carry a Christian atmosphere everywhere. So this letter is a precious window into what relationships that are shaped by the gospel actually looks like. It's a precious window into Paul's study, as he's maybe got a draft of a couple of really big letters on his desk. He's got the pressures and concerns of all the churches. He's thinking about where he's going to go for the winter in order to do gospel ministry. He's got all these strategic things going on in his head, but he takes time to write to Philemon. And here we're going to see how he engages with this very practical down-to-earth. Pastoral situation. So, what does he do then? Well, after uh, blessing Philemon and his household, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ," he goes into one of his characteristic prayers. Um, and this is there's something just to very quickly pick up here, which is Paul nearly, nearly always seems to want to pray before he does anything. He always wants to kind of think, "Okay, Lord." What is it that I'm longing for this person? What is it that I'm hoping that you're going to achieve by your power before I ever pick up my pen and start to write? And Paul, when he prays for Philemon, he plays with deep thanksgiving. We need to keep this really strongly in mind as we read this letter. Have a look at verse 7. Paul says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Philemon is a really committed Christian, really, really committed Christian. It looks like he has possibly a church meeting in his house. Uh, he's, He's somebody who's doing hospitality all the time. He's refreshing the hearts of the saints. He's looking out for his brothers and sisters in the Lord. He loves to do that. And that gives Paul great encouragement as he writes to Philemon. But Paul also wants to pray for him, and he wants... Uh, Paul, Philemon's love to develop. And the, the guts of what Paul prays for Philemon is there in verse 6. Uh, he prays uh, that Philemon may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, this prayer, I think it really contains in a nutshell what Paul is hoping for in this letter. But the problem is, it's quite ambiguous to work out what it actually means some of the commentators gave six options for what the words literally could mean in this passage. And our translation has chosen one, and I'm not actually sure it's the right one, unfortunately. Um, So it's it's a good tip, isn't it? Whenever you're looking at the Bible, even if you don't know any other languages or whatever, you can can compare with different translations and just see at least, is this a verse that people have got different uh, understandings of how best to translate it from? Because I could preach a whole sermon to you about how we all need to be active in sharing our faith, and we all need to be going away doing more evangelism. And if I locked into that without checking another translation, I'd actually be making a bit of a mistake, because most translations don't think this verse is about that. Um, this is my sort of best attempt to try and give a, give a sense of what this is uh, a prayer for. Paul prays that the partnership or the fellowship that comes from your faith might be active. Now, that's still pretty vague, um, but I wanted to flag that up, and we'll come back to this at the end, once we've gone through the letter, to try and work out what it is Paul actually might mean by this. So Paul prays for Philemon, and then he writes to him. And the main thing that he writes to him, Philemon is in verses 18 to 20. So we're just going to work through this and see what it is Paul says to Philemon, and then we'll draw some uh, conclusions. So firstly, um, Paul is making an appeal to Philemon and it's on the basis of love. Verse eight, therefore, Paul says, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. Now don't miss how significant this is. Paul's here as an apostle and he's saying to Philemon, you know what, I could actually tell you what to do with Onesimus, because I'm an apostle, I've been given this authority in the Lord to to sort of be pretty straight with you and say, this is what needs to happen here. But Paul says, I'm I'm choosing not to do that. I want to instead make an appeal to you. I want to ask you. I want to beg you almost. I want to plead with you. Philemon, do the right thing here. Choose love. Choose love. And in a way, you can see that Paul's actually doing something quite loving himself, isn't he? Because Paul could easily sort of stand on his rights and say, Philemon, I love this guy Onesimus, you better take him back. But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he says, I'm going to beg you. Paul doesn't stand on his rights. Instead, he gives up his rights. And so this is a, this is a loving appeal. It's all on the basis of love. Verse 9. Um, And I love um, what Martin Luther says about this in his little commentary on uh, Philemon. Um, Here's what he says. Here we see how St. Paul layeth himself out for poor Onesimus, and with all his means pleads his cause with his master, and so sets himself, as it were, as if he were Onesimus and had himself done wrong to Philemon. Yet he doesn't do this with force or constraint, as if he had full right. No, he puts himself out of his rights whereby he constrains Philemon to recognize that he also must strip himself of his rights. So I love that. This this appeal to Philemon comes uh, on the basis of love. It's all about love. Paul Paul puts himself out of his rights in order to show uh, Philemon how to do the same thing. And it it comes um, not only kind of on the basis of love, but also, well, maybe it's the same thing again. It's, it's, it's with this root uh, loving relationship between Paul and Onesimus. Just have a look at the language here, verse 9. I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Uh, Mark, when we were chatting about this service, pointed out to me that Anesimus' name kind of means helpful. Uh, Anesimus was somebody who was defined by his role in the economy. He was just somebody who had to be functional, and he'd become dysfunctional. He'd probably stolen some of Philemon's money, and he'd run away. And in those days, the penalty for a dysfunctional slave was get rid of them. Literally, uh, Onesimus could have easily faced death in many, many homes in the Roman Empire for what he had done. But now, Onesimus has become useful again. But much more than useful, he's not just a cog in the machine anymore. Onesimus is now Paul's son. Uh, Have a look at verse 12. I'm sending him who is my very heart, back to you. Think of how, how radical this is in, a, in an age where so, so so many people are cogs in an economic machine. And to keep them as cogs in your economic machine, you have to kind of look down on them and you have to treat them as not even full human beings. And Paul says, this, this young lad, this slave who's come to me, he is my very heart. I love him philemon i've got my arms around him he's my brother in the lord and so can you see that this this appeal to philemon it comes on account of love it comes because paul loves anisimus and wants to kind of step into anisimus's shoes and plead for anisimus on anisimus's behalf this is appeal that is on the basis of love or on account of love so you might be thinking, well, if Paul loves Onesimus so much, why on earth would he send him back to his slave master? Why would you send somebody that you love back to a life of slavery? Well, Paul gives two reasons, and this is the next part of Paul's appeal. Um, verse, uh, verse 12, I'm sending, him back to you. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Now, Paul is 100% clear that it is, in fact, right that he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. It is, bottom line, very black and white, very simple, the right thing to do. If Paul keeps Onesimus under every law going, then he is breaking the law. He's keeping somebody else's property. Now, that sounds awful to us, doesn't it? But that was the law, both of the Roman Empire and, to be honest, of the law in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we saw it, if you were here a few weeks ago, when we looked at an eye for an eye, a tooth with a tooth, does talk about slaves as being people's property. And so Paul has got no right to just unilaterally decide that he wants to keep Onesimus with him. The right thing to do is to send him back. And so that's what Paul does. This is God's clear will. This is the first reason Paul sends Anisimus back, because God's will is clear. It's Philemon's job to decide what to do. Now, before we kind of, before we kind of um, get total head staggers and think, goodness, Paul, you've lost me here. I can't believe you're sending a slave back to his master. Um, we need to, I suppose, recognize that slavery is not a binary thing, right? It's not as simple as there is slavery, and that is intensely evil. And then as soon as you're not a slave, that's OK. It's much more of a sliding scale. Um, there's obviously a difference between the kind of slave trade that was happening 200 years ago, um, which was very, 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 very bad. And then there's the slavery that was happening in the Roman Empire, which is very, very, very bad. And then there's the slavery that happens in the, Old, in the Old Testament world, in the Bible, which is very bad. Don't know exactly how bad, but you can see there's shades along here. And you can see it's going to make a, a big difference. And actually, we're in a kind of slavery, aren't we, really? Most of us sell our time for somebody. We don't own our time because we've sold it. And I know we think, well, we're kind of free to do that. But there's a lot of us sitting here tonight who probably aren't free to do that. We couldn't pack in our jobs tomorrow. We're tied in, we're locked in. I know lots of people who who would love to say, leave London and go and live somewhere else, but they just can't do it. They've become locked into a system. We're not totally free, even though we've got rid of the slave trade, which is a good thing. Um, And so I think we need to recognize, as we're reading Paul here, slavery is bad, yes. Slavery, I think, ultimately gets replaced by the gospel. But it's not as simple as, goodness, if you do anything that um, works within that system of slavery, it's going to be totally wrong. Because we're actually all working within some sort of uh, constricting of freedom in our systems. Um, We'll come back a little bit to slavery in a moment. Um, But that's the first reason, anyway, that Paul sends Anisimus back, because it's God's clear will. But there's a second reason, and this, I think, is coming because Paul's got a sense of what God's what we might call God's secret will is, or his providential will. And you can see that where he says, verse 15, perhaps. He's kind of guessing now. So here's the second reason Paul sends Anisimus back. Perhaps the reason that Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that he, was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a man, or in the flesh, and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul's saying, you know, Philemon, think about this with me a second. I know it's annoying that your slave ran away from you. He really shouldn't have done it. But you know how God often uses evil for good. Paul often, God is often able to take the, the bad things that happen in this world and make good things out of them. And perhaps the Lord allowed Anesimus to be separated from you for a time so that something even better might happen, so that in fact he could become a Christian, so that we could be brothers in the Lord, and so that you might receive him back not only as a slave any longer, but much more than a slave, as your beloved brother in the Lord. And so Paul is, Paul is sending Anesimus back because he thinks that's maybe where God's will is pointing, He's got this clear reason that he has to send him back, but he also has this sense that maybe this is what God is up to the whole time. God is really wanting to see this reunion of Onesimus and Philemon totally kind of transformed by the gospel, no longer as simply a slave and a master, but now two beloved brothers in the Lord. So I think the purpose of this appeal is the second point here, Paul sends Onesimus back with the purpose of love. Paul thinks that God's will here in this situation is that there's going to be love between Onesimus and Philemon. And so Paul's not going to take this into his own hands. He's not going to somehow force uh, Philemon uh, to do something, because that wouldn't be loving then. He's going to try and make it possible for Philemon to do the right thing, to choose to love. Um, I hadn't hadn't any awareness of what Drew was going to say this morning, Uh, so I was very interested to hear all about um, little redeemers. We were looking at Ruth chapter 4, if you you weren't uh, in the the service this morning, and how um, Boaz models for us a a kind of a, a redeeming kind of a life, and we could maybe live that out ourselves. And Drew raised the interesting point that there often seems to be a choice in the Bible between being uh, very sort of hard legalistic, simply obeying the commands, I suppose, with with no concern for another person, and then simply being kind of nice in a very wishy-washy way. And neither of those things seem to work, which was a helpful point. But I suppose what that leaves is a bit of a question, doesn't it, about what does the actual right way to live look like? What does it look like to live in this loving-kindness kind of a way? Well, isn't Philemon a wonderful example? Isn't this letter a wonderful example of what it looks like to love? And I think it's so interesting that Paul is both saying, yes, the law really, really matters. I'm not going to break the law here. Um, but he also uh, doesn't just kind of send Anesimus back and see you later, Onesimus. Sorry, got to send you back. Paul actually takes on the onus himself. He makes this problem his. He chooses love. He says, right, There's this situation I've got to deal with. I'm going to try and solve this problem. I'm going to try and be the one who bears this burden. I'm going to make an appeal on account of love with the goal of love, so that we can see love flourish, even in this situation where a slave has to return to his master. And so Paul says to Philemon, finally, he finally gets to his appeal after all this kind of ramping up. Verse 17, so... If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done any wrong or owes anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I might have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Uh, just one thing quickly to note here. Did you notice Paul said in verse 7, Philemon is somebody who loves to refresh the hearts of the saints. And then Paul said in verse 12 that Anisimus is his very heart. And, now Paul's, and, and, and he's sending his very heart back to Philemon. And so now Paul says in verse 20, refresh my heart in Christ. Well, how does Philemon re- refresh Paul's heart Well, Paul sent him his very heart. It's Onesimus. Love Onesimus. Bless him, because as Onesimus is coming back to Philemon, it's almost like Paul is coming back to Philemon. Because these two, Paul and Onesimus, the great apostle and this runaway slave, they love each other. Paul says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And you notice here, Paul doesn't only plead or intercede with Philemon. He actually wants anything that Onesimus has done wrong to be charged to his account, to be imputed to him, if you like. Uh, if Onesimus if has stolen anything, if he's, if he's punched somebody on his way uh, to getting his freedom, charge it to me. I'll take the penalty for that. I'll take the blame for that. I'll deal with it. Does that remind you of anyone? Does anyone else uh, get wrongs imputed to him and then go and intercede for them? Well, listen to Luther again. Even as Christ did for us with God the Father, so does St. Paul for Anesimus with Philemon. For Christ also has put himself out of his rights and with love and humbleness has prevailed with his Father that he should lay aside his wrath and his rights and receive us to grace for Christ's sake who so earnestly intercedes for us. And lays himself out so tenderly for us. Listen to this bit. For we are all his Anisimai, if we believe it. We are all Christ's Anisimai. As Paul does for Anisimus, so Christ does for all of us. He lays himself out for us before God the Father. And it's not like we shouldn't imagine God the Father kind of needing persuaded by his Son. Because remember, the Father sends the Son in his love for us. But there is a truth to that, that um, over and against us stands God's wrath because of our sin. And we do need somebody to take our sins on himself and to come and intercede before the Father for us. And that is Christ, our Redeemer. And so can you see what's going on here? Paul is living out the gospel, isn't he? The gospel that he believes in, the gospel that took him, this person who persecuted the church and made him this apostle who who loves people now and is pouring himself out for people. Now he's pouring himself out for this man, Anesimus, uh, choosing to make this appeal of love for his friend, his brother in the Lord, this runaway slave. And now Paul says to Philemon, Well, you've benefited from the gospel, Philemon. You've been forgiven. You've got Christ interceding at God's right hand for you, so now you live the gospel out too, won't you? Choose love. Receive Onesimus back, not only as a slave, but as a beloved brother in the Lord. So if we come back to the prayer very briefly, um, this is what Paul's praying for. He's praying that the partnership, uh, the partnership that uh, Philemon has with all his brothers and sisters in the Lord, that comes from their shared faith, might be active, might be at work, so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Now, we haven't got time to go into this full understanding thing, unfortunately, but flag it up there. It's interesting that as Philemon is going to receive Anesimus back, Paul says he's actually going to understand more of his salvation. He's going to understand more of everything he has in the Lord. But just flick back to the first part of that there, um, I hope that's clear. What Paul's saying is that that partnership that we have as brothers and sisters in the Lord, Paul's saying to Philemon, that needs to be active as this guy Onesimus comes back to you, because he's your brother. Receive him in the Lord. Okay, um, that's taken a little bit longer than I was hoping to go through some of that, so uh, apologies for that. Um, Let me try and just draw um, a few conclusions from that. I think it's interesting, this, this letter isn't just to kind of do this. It's not just do this, love uh, love, um, and, and kind of receive Anisimus back. I think this letter's been kept by the church because we actually hear the voice of faith that works through love speaking here. This is the Apostle Paul showing us and demonstrating love as he appeals here. And that draws us into a closer understanding of what it really means to live as God's people together. You can almost imagine it like ripple effects. So, you've got Christ loves Paul, transforms Paul, uh, and that love that transforms Paul then shapes how Paul's going to live. And he's going to live in a way that transforms Onesimus and Philemon. And that's going to transform how Philemon lives and receives Onesimus. And that's going to have this ripple effect that goes on and on and on. And ultimately, I think it's those ripple effects that have ultimately meant that slavery now is abolished. Um, those communities of churches in the Roman Empire were radically different to houses and communities all around them. They were little pools of light in the Roman Empire, little pools of love where people could relate to each other as brothers in the Lord, even if they were slaves and masters. Because that love of Christ transforms. And one area where I think it might transform our culture, and I think we'll have to conclude with this, is... um, is by thinking about this phrase here. If we can have um, this phrase up. Somebody said that this is where the direction our culture is heading at the moment. Um, We're increasingly becoming sovereign individual victims. So what that means is we're kind of becoming increasingly sovereign individuals. We we think we get to determine who we are, what our identity is. I am whoever I decide to be. And nobody else can, can kind of choose that for me. It's all about me. But we then, um, whenever we fail to kind of fulfill whatever we think our potential is, whenever we fail to be who we think we really ought to be, we blame everybody else. We think, oh, it was their fault that I haven't uh, be- become who I, who I really want to be. And so we, we kind of have this culture of victimhood. And so we're, we're increasingly becoming a culture of sovereign individual victims. And the challenge and the promise of the gospel, as we see it in, in this letter of Philemon... Is that it reshapes us into something very different. The gospel of Christ, the love of Christ, is going to reshape us into, instead of sovereign individual uh, individual victims, loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of uh, wanting to be defined by what we think we are, we're going to be defined by what Christ has done for us. He's loved us, He's made us His brothers. Uh, Instead of feeling like we're we're victims and we've lost something, we haven't fulfilled our potential, instead we're going to see ourselves as sharing immensely in all that Christ has done for us. And so that means instead of blaming others, we're going to try and serve others. We're going to love them. Instead of trying to be isolated individuals, we're going to be willing to to share our hearts with all sorts of different people. We're going to be willing to sell ourselves out for each other, loving them. As Christ has loved us, and that I think is the is the heading under which we need to think about this issue of slavery. Paul doesn't command Philemon to release Onesimus; he he just says receive him back. Uh, And this idea is that this category of being a brother it kind of simply transcends being a slave. It's not really about whether Onesimus is a slave anymore. As long as he's received as a brother. Because it's so much bigger to be a brother. Uh, it doesn't really matter that they're slave and master anymore. It's not ideal, but that's the way it is. But what is much more important is that these two people relate to each other as the brothers in the Lord that they are. Because it's not about simply Anesimus fulfilling his potential, it's not about uh, simply getting whatever our rights are. The gospel teaches us to lay down our rights and to serve each other. And you can do that whether you're a slave or a master, whether you're somebody who feels at the center of this church or right on the edge of things. You're somebody who can do that whether you're very young and small and feel like you've got a lot of growing to do, or whether you're somebody who's old and tired and a bit fed up. In all these ways, we can be loving brothers in Christ. We can, we're all anisamai. and so we can all be Philemon's who love each other as Christ has loved us. And through Christ and with him, be praise and authority to the Father, with the Holy Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this little letter of Paul that we've only really scratched the surface on tonight, but we, we thank you for the way it, it models for us this, this glowing relationship and this glowing way of living that becomes ours in Christ. Thank you for the way Paul didn't choose to boss Philemon around, but instead tried to create space for Philemon to choose to love. Thank you for the way that Paul was able to do that humbly and for the way that he he made Anisimus' burden his own, caring for him, interceding for him. Father, thank you that all of that flows from the love of Christ for us, sinful people, needing your forgiveness, needing the intercession of Christ on our behalf. And so, Lord, we pray that we might... uh, know more of what it is that we share in Christ as we choose love, as we choose to live not as individual sovereign victims but as loving brothers and sisters in Christ, people who will choose to bear each other's burdens, to carry each other on our shoulders, to refresh each other's hearts, to care for each other, to embrace each other, even when we're different and even when we've wronged each other. Lord, might this community, might The people sitting here this evening, might we be a people who show this beautifully different, beautifully loving, beautifully free way of living for each other that Christ has won for us and that He shows to us and that He creates in us? Lord, we ask this for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with us all tonight and forevermore. Amen.